morning. My name is Tin. I'm doing the second Bible reading. What a time to start it. Uh, first day of our service in 2002 and also the first psalm in the Psalter. So I'm going to read uh, the first uh, Psalm 1 uh, this morning. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinner take or sits in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate <clears throat> on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tim. Well, uh, you could keep your Bible open. Uh, with you, we'll be working through Psalm 1, and it is a great way to start the year, a new year, a new sermon series into the book of Psalms. But as we begin, I'm going to pray, so please uh, pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the start of a new year, and we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to consider the Psalms uh, where you've spoken to us and shared wisdom on how the world works. Uh, please help it to be great encouragement for us as we consider them over the next coming five weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, in life, what words of wisdom have you been told? Uh, one of the lasting memories for me uh, of my grandpa is going to over to his place, and he was a retired carpenter, and so he always used to be out in his shed out the back, making things, working with tools and machines and wood. And, and so that meant every time I went over, I'd go out the back and work with him and make stuff as well. And there's something he said to me, about the key to working with wood that stuck with me for years and for decades. He told me the key to working with wood is that you measure twice and cut once. That's the key to working with wood. And the, the thinking behind that is that you can change a measurement, but once you've cut it, you can't get it back together again. So you measure twice and cut once. And they're the words of wisdom for working with wood. And funnily enough, I actually ended up becoming a woodwork teacher. And so I passed on those words of wisdom to my students. I told them, measure twice, cut once. And some of my students paid attention to those words of wisdom and produced some uh, really great work. And so that's, the, um, that's the, some of the work. They made their chairs and uh, they are well made and you can sit on them and they will hold your weight. And so they were quite impressive pieces of work. They listened to my words of wisdom. Measure twice, cut once. Uh, but there were other students who weren't so uh, perceptive who didn't listen to my words of wisdom. Measure twice, cut once. And so do you know what happened? Uh, this is what happened. Uh, it's uh, the most revolting piece of furniture I've ever seen in my life. Uh, that's an optical illusion down the bottom. It seems like the drawer is open. It's not. It's closed and there's just a huge gap between it and the one above. You can see, if you look carefully up the top there, they're not biscuited well together and so there's a curve to it and it's just horrible. But that's what happens. He didn't listen to the words of wisdom. Measure twice, cut once. And that's, um, isn't that the way of life? that there's all sorts of different words of wisdom. And I'm sure you can think of different words of wisdom you've heard across your life. 
Maybe it was the uh, age-old words of wisdom given to newly married couples, don't go to bed angry. It's great advice, and it's something I give to every couple when I do premarital counselling with them, and it helps to keep a marriage strong. Or what about the Australian classic, swim between the flags? Aren't they important words of wisdom? In fact, uh, in the 2020 to 2021 summer, so last summer, 294 people drowned at beaches or waterways. I mean, isn't that terrible? 294 families torn apart. See, those words of wisdom matter. Swim between the flags. And what we see in Psalm 1 are more words of wisdom. In fact, the the words of wisdom we see in Psalm 1 are the most important words of wisdom ever. Why? Well, because of the gravity of what it deals with, because of the consequences for not listening to it. If we disregard the words of wisdom, measure twice, cut once, then what are the consequences? Well, just a shoddy bit of furniture. But if we disregard the words of wisdom to never go to bed angry, then the consequences are more severe. It could mean a breakdown of the marriage. If we disregard the words of wisdom, swim between the flags, then the consequences are even more severe. It can lead to death. But as severe as that is, the consequences for disregarding these words of wisdom are even greater. See, if we disregard these words of wisdom, then we face eternal death. If we disregard these words of wisdom, then ultimately we'll perish And that's why these are the most important words of wisdom ever. And so then what are the words of wisdom in Psalm 1? Well, it tells us that those near to God will prosper, but those far from God will perish. Those near to God will prosper, but those far from God will perish. Those are the most important words of wisdom you will ever hear. And so uh, the first bit, those near to God will prosper. And isn't that what we all want? Don't we all long and want to prosper? To have a healthy family, to have a good job, to have wealth. In fact, uh, that's why Tats Lotto and Powerball are so popular in our society. Uh, A few years ago, there was an $80 million Powerball, and I heard a startling figure. At their peak, they were selling 2,000 tickets a minute. 2,000 tickets a minute. Why? Well, because everyone wants to prosper. We want to have the money and we want to have a good life. And what Psalm 1 tells us is that the only way to prosper is to be near to God. But of course the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we be near to God? And what we're told in Psalm 1 is a don't and a do. We're given a don't and a do. Firstly, the don't, it's in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. See, if you want to be near to God, then don't go to the world for advice. Don't listen to them on what they have to say. And I don't know if you noticed it, but what's interesting about each of the ones there is it kind of increases in strength as it's talking about it. It intensifies. It goes from walking to standing to sitting. If I'm walking along next to someone side by side, then we can have a conversation. But if we want to have a deeper conversation, then we'll stop and we'll face each other. We'll stand still. But if I want an even more intense conversation, then we'll sit down. It's an intensifying. And the point is, if we want to be near to God, then don't go to the world for advice and wisdom. 
And so then the question has to be for us, where do we go for advice? Whose counsel do you go to to seek wisdom? And how, how qualified are they? Uh, maybe for some of us, particularly those of us who are younger, we look to our school teachers for advice and counsel on how to live. But having worked as a school teacher, I can assure you that many of the school teachers struggle to even run their own lives. I've worked with uh, school teachers who had had marriage breakdowns, broken relationships with their kids. They had huge financial debt. They couldn't even run their own lives. And so they were certainly not qualified to tell us how to live our lives. They might be experts in their particular field, geography or maths or science, but in terms of wider life, they're certainly not qualified. So maybe then we should go to the, the kind of deep thinkers of our times, people like Jordan Peterson. He's certainly been uh, pretty well known over the last five or so years ago, five or so years. And now I uh, do appreciate a lot of what he says, but the reality is that the wisdom he offers us is no different to what you could have heard in a bar in 1920. Stand up straight, make your own bed, take responsibility. I mean, it's good advice, but we need deeper advice than that. We need better advice than that. And the words of, Psalm 1, words of wisdom here, if Psalm 1 tells us, if we want to be near to God, then don't go to the world. Instead, what do we do? Well, it's our do. Have a look at verse 2. But delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So instead of going to the world for our counsel, we go to God, to God and his law. Now, there's a little bit of debate about what exactly it means by law here. It uh, could mean the Ten Commandments, it could mean the other 613 commandments in the Old Testament, or even the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But I think uh, while they're all possible, the most likely option is that it means the whole teaching of God, the whole Old Testament then, but the whole Bible now. And we're to go to that, and we're to delight in that. It's, uh, it's like we soak it in, like we can't get enough. I heard the story this week about a lady called Catherine Granger. Now, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's well-loved by her friends, but uh, sadly she was diagnosed with cancer at quite a young age, and she actually spent 10 years fighting against it, a 10-year battle with cancer. And as she was slowly deteriorating, her eyesight started to fade. She made it, found it difficult to see. And so, do you know what she asked her husband to do? To read the Bible for her. And so that's how they spent time together. He would sit there reading the Bible out to her and she would sit there listening. And across that 10-year battle with cancer, he managed to read through the whole thing to her three times. And the whole time as he was doing that, she would just sit there, body ravaged by cancer, slowly dying and yet soaking it in, just the most contented look on her face. See, over the years, that was where she delighted and eventually, sadly, she did lose her battle. And one of her friends was talking about her at the funeral. And this is what, what the friend said. The friend said that at any time throughout that battle with cancer, when things were difficult, and there were plenty of difficult times across that 10 years, at any time, she would say the same thing, always say the same thing. Do you know what it was? Let's read the Bible. Let's read the Bible. See, that was what she delighted in. That was her solution to any difficult circumstances that came up. That was her comfort. See, Catherine was certainly someone who delighted in the law of the Lord, even in the face of the horror of cancer, even as her body wasted away, even throughout it all. 
She found her joy and sustenance in the law of the Lord. And I wonder, is that what we're like? Is our delight in the law of the Lord like Catherine? If we were to sadly suddenly pass away and our friends were to talk about, friends or family were to talk about us at our funeral, would they say a similar thing to what they said about Catherine? See, these words of wisdom here tell us that if we want to prosper, then we need to immerse ourselves in God's law. Now, of course, this might look different for every one of us. There's no kind of one mold that fits every single person, what it looks like to delight in the law of the Lord. And so there's, for however many of us there are here today, a hundred, there's probably a hundred different ways that we could do this. For me, one of the things I've tried to do this year is to begin to memorise Mark's gospel. I'm not good at memorization stuff, so I thought it would be very difficult, but it's actually been a great privilege to do. And so I've spent about six months doing it, and I'm only about two and a half chapters in, so I've been working very slowly, but just every week I get a chunk of about four or so verses, and I just read them over and over and memorize them. And slowly over time, I've built that up, and what I've found as I've done that is it's just helped me to delight in God's law, to pick up things that I might not have otherwise, little details. And that's been a great thing to do, and maybe that's something you might try and do, or maybe there's something else you'll do. But God's word is clear here. These words of wisdom, if we want to be near to God, then we've got to delight in God's word. And then as we do, do you see what happens? Have a look at verse 3. The person who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does, he prospers. See, those of us who are near to God are like a tree near water. They're healthy and luscious and fertile. I mean, we all know that, don't we? That trees need water. I was interested to hear Michelle's uh, talk before. I'm not a good gardener and it shows how bad I am. I didn't know trees needed five things. I thought they only needed one water, but I guess they need more. But I'm not actually a good gardener. And at the house we used to live at, there was what's called a magnolia tree. You might be uh, familiar with them. That's what a healthy, that's not mine, that's what a healthy magnolia tree is meant to look like. And we had one out the front of our house. And uh, somehow, because I'm not good at gardening, I forgot to water it for most of summer. And so for most of summer, it sat there baking in the sun and the wind and not getting much water. And do you know what it ended up looking like? Uh, this is my magnolia tree. And so it's uh, a little bit, looking a little bit pathetic and, and almost dead. It's got about six leaves left on it. Looks like it's almost dead, probably because it was almost dead. But we know that that's what happens to trees that don't have water. We know how important water is trees and so actually when I saw I realized what had gone on I felt quite guilty about it and so I spent a lot of time trying to put effort in and watering it and eventually uh, we did get this that's it again it's got a flower coming out so I was quite uh, pleased with that I managed to bring it back from the brink of death but we know that that's what trees are like they need water and in the same way as people we need the nourishment that comes from God's word and if we're delighting in God's word, then we'll be like a tree that's planted near water, that's healthy and big and strong. See, those near to God will prosper. But of course, the question is, well, what does it mean to prosper? What is prospering? Does it mean winning Tats Lotto? Does it mean owning our own house? Does it mean climbing up the corporate ladder? What does it mean to prosper? 
Well, to figure it out, we again need to go to God's Word, not to the world for counsel, because it's not any of those things. In fact, it's something far, far better. I think there's two things. Uh, Firstly, there's a prospering that comes from living a godly life. It doesn't always happen, but often our life will go okay if we obey what God says. For example, if we do not steal, then we will not end up in jail for stealing. If we're people of our word who always do what we say, then we'll have strong and healthy friendships because people will depend on us. Now, that's not always the case. It's not always the case that when we live how God wants us to, that things will go well. But there is an, often a pattern when we're living the way God's designed us to live. So there is that. But I think there's a more important sense to what it means to prosper, a deeper sense. One that comes from having a relationship with God, from knowing the truth that we're sinners, deserving of judgment, but that God loves us so much that he sent his son for us to die on the cross in our place so that we might be called children of God. And see, when we know that, and when we realize just how much God loves us, then there's a deep contentment, a contentment that lasts even when things don't go our way. And that's a far greater prosperity, a prosperity that's far greater than material wealth. It's a prosperity that gives us heavenly wealth, a prosperity that's far greater than physical health, a prosperity that gives us eternal life, a prosperity that's far greater than happiness now, a prosperity that gives us eternal satisfaction. See, that's the prosperity that comes from knowing and being near to God. A prosperity that means we can be peaceful and restful and secure in God's arms. And so that's the first part of our words of wisdom. Those near to God will prosper. But there's then the flip side in the rest of the psalm that those far from God will perish. Because while those near to God are like a tree in water or with water, Did you notice what those far from God are like? Have a look at verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. If you don't know what chaff is, it's that stuff from grain. It's the kind of scummy off-cast, the dry, husky stuff that comes from the grain. It's the kind of cast off of food. It's maybe a little bit like when you get your packet of chips, you eat the chips and there's the leftover packet. That's a little bit what chaff is like. It's, I mean, it's useless, it's garbage, it's worthless. See, chaff is rootless and weightless. Here today, gone tomorrow. And so the two couldn't be further apart. A tree has plenty of water, but chaff is dry and crumbly. A tree has deep roots, but chaff blows about on the wind. A tree is productive and produces fruit, but chaff is worthless and produces nothing. A tree is alive, but chaff is dead. And those who are far from God are like chaff. They're here today, gone tomorrow. And that's where verse 5 comes in. Did you notice what it says about them? Have a look. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Uh, It's similar language again to verse 1, and it tells us that the ungodly, those sinners, those who are far from God, can't stand in God's presence. When he comes on the final judgment day, they won't be able to stand. They won't be able to claim to be part of God's people. 
And so they don't get the prosperity that God offers. They don't get the peace and the comfort and the security that God gives. In fact, ultimately, they'll perish. Have a look at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, while God watches over those who are near him, those who are far from him, he doesn't. And so they'll perish. See, it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but ultimately, that's the fate of those who are far from God. They will perish. Now, uh, maybe we read this and we might say to ourselves, but are those we know who are not Christians, are they really wicked? Uh, When I hear this, I think about my cousins. Uh, They're not Christians, they're far from God, but they're nice enough people. They love and care for their family. One of my cousins went and visited my nana as she was dying many, many times. They're diligent at work, they're thoughtful towards each other. And maybe you can think of people like that you know as well. Maybe a lovely old grandma who's so generous to you, or your neighbour who always brings in the bin for you, or your colleague at work who's always willing to help out when times get busy. Sure, they might be far from God, but are these people actually wicked? Well, to answer that question, I think we need to understand the sense of what this psalm is talking about. It's not primarily giving us an ethical exhortation. There might be an aspect of that as well, but that's not primarily what it's talking about. It's primarily talking about a relational thing. In a sense, it's a little bit like a house party. Think about a party. At house party, some guests are terrible guests. They don't put coasters under the cups. They spill tomato sauce all over the floor. They want to play the worst songs on the music. They're just all around bad guests. But other guests are great guests. They pick up litter. They talk to people who are sitting by themselves all alone. They help and clean the dishes afterwards. And of those two, which is the good guest? Well, of course, we'd say the second one. But if neither of those guests goes and talks to the host of the party, then they're both bad guests. One might be an unpleasant bad guest, and one might be a nice bad guest, but they're both bad guests. And in the same way, the party of life is about spending time with the host, with God, getting to know him, thanking him for hosting us. But if we don't do that, then we're a bad guest. Now, some people are nice bad guests. They give money to the poor. They help out with charities. They're always kind to others. But unless they thank the host, unless they spend time with the host, then they're still bad guests. And that's primarily the categories that Psalm 1 is using here. Anyone who doesn't know God, anyone who doesn't thank the host, falls into the wicked category. They might be nice wicked, or they might be bad wicked. But if they don't know God, then they're wicked. And these words of wisdom tell us here that those like that, those who are far from God, will perish. That's the fate awaiting them. And it is a fearful thing to think that apart from God, we cannot stand. We will perish. And in fact, that's actually what brought about the conversion of a man called uh, Peter Hitchens. You might be familiar with at least the man with the beard there, Christopher Hitchens. 
Uh, Christopher, he's one of the most famous atheists of our time. He was vehemently anti-Christian, even from a young age. And his brother there, without the beard, Peter, uh, was with him for many years. In fact, uh, Peter was so anti-Christian, anti-God, that he burned a Bible he was given at school. He was given a Bible, he took it out, and he burned it. That's how much he hates Christians. That's how much he hated God. And he went on this way for, for many years, until in God's kindness, Peter was miraculously and wonderfully converted. And he documents his journey to faith in, uh, in this book, The Rage Against God, How Atheism Led Me to Faith. It's a great book. And on the back, he actually writes, uh, two brothers, two beliefs, two revolted, one returned. And in a minute, I'll, I'll read the account to you. He recounts in there the account of how he became a Christian. But that transition from verse 1, mocking God, to verse 2, delighting in God. The key moment when God opened his eyes. Uh, he was travelling through France with his girlfriend and they were visiting all the different, uh, different places and different uh, tourist attractions around and they stumbled into an ancient hospital. And there hanging on the wall was a painting of Roger van der Weyde's 15th century, The Last Judgment. Uh, this is the painting that he saw. Uh, it's 15th century one. It's about... Uh, Christ's second coming and all those figures you can see down the bottom are people heading to hell and this is what uh, what Peter said about this I'll read it out he said when he saw it he says I scoffed another religious painting couldn't these people think of anything else to depict still scoffing I peered at the naked figures fleeing towards the pit of hell out of my faintly morbid interest in all the alleged terrors of hell but this time I gaped, my mouth actually hanging open. These people did not appear remote or from the ancient past. They were my own generation. Because they were naked, they were not imprisoned in their own age by their, uh, by their fashions. On the contrary, their hair and in an odd way the set of their faces were entirely in the style of my own time. They were me and the people I know. One of them, and I always wondered how the painter thought of it, is actually vomiting with shock and fear at the sound of the last trumpet. I had a strong, a sudden strong sense of religion being a thing of the present day, not imprisoned under thick layers of time. A large catalogue of misdeeds, ranging from the embarrassing to the appalling, replayed themselves rapidly in my head. I had absolutely no doubt that I was amongst the damned. He was converted as he looked at that painting, as he saw the fate awaiting those who are far from God. God worked in his heart and convicted him of that truth. And so if that is you today, if you're like Peter Hitchens before his conversion, if you're far from God, then please don't wait. Oh, that is what you have coming an eternity of destruction, you will perish because that is what is waiting for those who are far from God. And so if that's you today, then please heed these words of wisdom that Psalm 1 tells us. Don't wait, act today. Come and talk to me or come and talk to someone else here and we'll tell you of the wonderful news of Christ. The nearness to God that comes from Christ, the nearness that isn't based on our deeds or what we've done, 
It's a nearness that comes because Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed God in everything he did. He lived a perfect life that we don't. He never walked in step with the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of mockers. He delighted in the law of the Lord day and night and he perfectly obeyed every single command of it in a way that we never will. And then even though he was completely innocent, he willingly died for us to wash away all of our sin and guilt so that we could be near to God. See, that's the good news of the Bible. That's the nearness that Psalm 1 tells us about. It's a nearness not based on our merit, but based on Jesus. And so if that's still you, if you have not accepted that, even if you've been at church for a long, long time, then do not wait. Heed these words of wisdom today because that is the fate awaiting those who are far from God to perish like that. Act today. But of course, for those of us who are near to God, who are Christians, then isn't it so wonderful to start the new year being reminded of that truth, that those who are near to God will prosper. Not a a shallow, pathetic prospering of what the world says of money or comfort or joy, but a prospering far, far deeper than that. A prospering that comes from knowing God and being known by God. And praise God for these wonderful words of wisdom. It may be an encouragement to us as we start this new year to remind ourselves of those words of wisdom from Psalm 1. That those near to God will prosper but those far from God will perish. I'm going to pray and and thank God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Psalm 1. We thank you for the wonderful news it tells us that we can draw near to you and that as we do, we'll prosper. Thank you that that prospering is far better than anything the world might offer. It's far more lasting, far more contenting. So we do uh, thank you for that, Father. We pray that uh, you would help us to feel the weight of those who are perishing, that we might share this good news with uh, those we know who who are deemed as wicked. And we pray for any of us here today who are not yet near to you. Please be working in our hearts like you did with Peter to wonderfully bring us to salvation. And so as we start this year, would you help us to remember this daily, to reflect on this daily and to rejoice in this daily. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.